T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back, everybody. It is 9.06 here in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in for At Your Service tonight. Happy to be downtown and uh, at the KMOX studios and talking to all of you on this Thursday evening. As many of you know, I'm the usual host of a show we call Dollars and Cents. It's been around for 26 years, not on a regular basis anymore, although I will be on this Sunday as the Cardinals have a very strange early morning start time Sunday in Pittsburgh, uh, like around 1040 or so a.m. Here's Central Time, so obviously about 1140, but even that's early Eastern Time. So that opens up a spot for Sunday afternoon, so I will be here again in just a few days. Obviously these days, plenty to talk about. I have no problem gathering enough material to not only do a show tonight, that's related to all the financial markets and all the issues about inflation and economics and investing and all that, but plenty more on Sunday afternoon. So hopefully you you can join me here in just a few days. I ended the last hour talking about something that is near and dear to my heart and really is one of the driving um, most important points of my regular research, if you will, in, in helping us to also construct portfolios in current market conditions. And that is investor sentiment, the psychological makeup of the market. Now, we are not market timers. We're not moving in and out. But like any prudent investor, there are times where you do have to do what I call manage the edges. You have to look at various parts of the economy. You have to see how markets are behaving. And there are times where you do have to make some changes where you say, look, we've had some, uh, we might have been overweighted large cap growth for a couple of years, which has served us well, but it's time to take some profits and maybe move over here to value. We might have had more in international or emerging markets. It's time to take a little off the table there, move it over into this area. And the same goes with fixed income, by the way. If you haven't looked at your fixed income portion of your portfolio, you better do that because we are in a new environment, as you know. Higher interest rates are really hurting long-term bonds, and there are all kinds of bonds. So this is a time where everybody really needs to do an accounting of their portfolio to make sure you're in the proper place, because this isn't just some near-term thing that's happening. Inflation is probably going to stay elevated here for a while, and I think you're going to see traditional value-oriented blue-chip dividend-paying stocks continue to lead the way. Make sure that you have a portion of your investments in that area. But what I look at that helps drive that that decision-making process is the sentiment 
of Wall Street, the sentiment of the average investor, both professional and amateur alike. I pointed out two indicators at the end of the last hour. One was the fact that professional money managers who manage mutual funds, traditional mutual funds, have more cash in their mutual funds today than at any time since the days right after 9-11. That's an amazing stat for me, by the way, because we obviously had that market continued to, um, um, I don't know, is crash the right word? Post 9-11 it did, but it kept going down through 02 and into uh, early 03. But then you had the Great Recession of 08, which was even a more damaging market on a percentage basis. And yet mutual fund managers, for safety purposes, have raised more cash in this market than they did in 08. And you should know that when they raise these cash levels, it can be a sign that the correction or bear market is in the latter stages. Mutual fund managers do not raise cash levels at the top of markets. Quite the opposite. Cash levels are non-existent in bull markets and especially near the top. So this is a good contrarian sign. I pointed out one more, the American Association of Individual Investors, AAII, a non-scientific survey that's 35 years um, old, but it has yielded some really nice little nuggets of information over the years. When investors are at their most nervous, where they're apoplectic, where they're ready to do the proverbial jump off the cliff, that's where I start to think more positively about the market. Well, I don't know if we're there yet, but I, it, it's showing signs that we are already in some kind of major bear market like an 08. It's crazy how bearish investors are when the S&P 500 is down 19%. Now, yeah, that's a lot, but... It's not 30, it's not 40, it's not 58% like it was in 07 to 09. It's not down 35% like it was in five weeks' time in March of 2020. It's down 19%. The Dow is down 14%. Now, the NASDAQ, which is the high-flying tech index, of course, is down a lot more. At its low earlier this week, it was down 30%. That, my friends, is a real bear market. The Russell 2000, which is the small cap index, is also in bear market territory. It's down about 21%, 22%. But in terms of historical bear markets, the Dow and the S&P just aren't there. And yet, investors are acting as if it is, which is a good thing. So here's another indicator, as I have just a couple more to give you. There's a company called Ned Davis Research. The eponymous Ned Davis Ned Davis Research. He looks, they look, the team, has 27 different indicators that they combine all into one chart line. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but just know it's on a scale of 1 to 100, with 1 being extreme fear. This, is, this has been around for decades. It's never been down to like 1 or 2 or 5, you know, anything like that. But it can get to 20 or below. Extreme optimism, it can get as high as 80, rare occasions it has. 40 to 60 is neutral, so keep that in mind. Under 40 is bearish, 40 to 60 is neutral, above 70, everyone's really giddy. When people have excessive pessimism, that is a good sign for the market to turn because everybody is sold out that wants to sell out. Where are we right now? 
30. We are extreme pessimism. What is the history when we have an extreme pessimism number in the Ned Davis research composite? Oh, I don't know. 12 months later, on average, the S&P is up 27.7%. That's not a prediction, by the way. But it is factual. It's, it's history. That's what's happened in the past. doesn't guarantee us anything. But when we start to add up all these different sentiment indicators and nuggets in a row, you look at it and go, hmm, I'm keeping an open mind. Market can certainly go lower. Probably will go a little bit lower. But will it? are we only halfway through the bear market? Are we only 30% through this major correction bear market? Anything's possible. But if you're reasonable and you look at past indicators that are fairly consistent, I think it's okay to say that the majority of this correction may be behind us based on these other indicators. Let me give you one more. I love this one. This was put together by one of my favorite research teams, Sentiment Trader. Sentiment Trader just noticed that over the past 10 days, 10 trading days, so we're looking at two weeks, the volume of people buying and selling on the New York Stock Exchange. For every 10 sell orders, only one buy order came in. Folks, that doesn't happen very often. That is extreme negative sell volume. Well, there have been times in history where we've seen that happen during three trading days within 10 days. So let me explain this again. When we've seen the buy volume come in that's less than 10% of daily volume, when that's happened three days out of 10, that's happened 19 times over the last 60 years. 19 times over the last 60 years. What did the market do over the ensuing 12 months when this kind of negative volume in the market has come into play? Ah, you'll have to stick around through the break. I'll give you those results. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's somewhat mixed, but I'll explain what I mean by that when we come back. Folks, thank you so much for taking time out of your Thursday night to tune us in here on KMOX and specifically at your service. My name is Dave Simons, and I promise we shall return. Welcome back to At Your Service here on a Thursday night. My name is Dave Simons. Hello there. It's 9.20 p.m. here, uh, Central Daylight Time. So I've been talking about various kinds of sentiment indicators, and I, right before the break, had talked about this thing that um, Sentiment Trader, a research team, which I love. I just, they put out stuff almost every day, and they can give us some real gems. And this one popped up on my screen in the last day or two because they noted that three trading days out of the last 10 we had something that's very rare to even happen once, but to happen three times in two weeks, and that is for every nine or ten sell orders that came in, one was a buy. So you have a very lopsided volume, and that really, obviously, because you've, look, every trade has a buy and a sell, right? Well, if you've got ten sells and one buy, you're going to have, the, the prices are going to have to come down to even it out to try to get five buys and five sells. So you're going to have to keep bringing prices down to match up. Otherwise, your your sell orders will never get um, taken. And, and, you know, every time you put in an order, it will be accepted. It'll take, unless it's some kind of wild mar- uh, limit order of some sort. But market orders will take. So Sentiment Trader went back 
60 years, literally to uh, May of 1962. And they noticed that this has happened 19 times in history, where you've had a two-week period where selling volume was so lopsided, three out of 10 days. So what happened in those other 19 times? By the way, we just did it for the 20th time. So who knows what that's going to look like 12 months from now. But the other 19 times, it breaks out like this. 14 of 19 times the market was higher. Those 14 times on average, when you just average it out, had a gain of 22.3% for the S&P 500 a year later. That's very, very good. So you might say, okay, well, it's 14 out of 19. It's certainly good. It's it's not like 19 out of 19 or 14 out of 19. Okay. Well, this is, this is important to remember. This is key. That's why it's always important to dig a little beneath the surface to find other data involved in this that tells the story. The other five times that we're down occurred in the Great Recession of 2008. All five times. January. March, August, September, October, five times in 2008. So think about that. Over the past 60 years, it's happened 19 times. Five of the 19 times happened in one bear market. And all five of those were down. So really, if you want to simplify this, if you think we are heading back into something like the Great Recession, which almost became another Great Depression, If you think that there is a good chance we're heading in that direction, I would say, yeah, you should lighten up on stocks. Like, a lot. I'm not a market timer, but if you're that convicted of it. But folks, outside of that, all the other times, it's occurred in 62, 1970, 1978, 1987, 09, 10, 11, 13, 15, 20. So 14 other times, always positive. Does it guarantee us that? Of course not. Does it give us some decent odds? I think that's reasonable. So I've just given you, I've spent quite a bit of time, more than I really planned to, on these indicators. But like I said at the beginning, this is such an important part of how I conduct business. It's not just the hard data. That's easy. You look at it and say, oh, this is what Walmart's earnings were. Oh, they were really bad. Target, ooh, that's not good either. Home Depot, ooh, that was good. Home Depot had some good earnings. What does that tell us? What does the unemployment number tell us? Hmm, okay. Inflation. Yeah, not so hot. That's easy. It's really what the average investor thinks is as much of the driving force in anything. If investors are on a buying strike, I don't care how good or bad the news is, the market's not going up. Now, what happens is when everyone is at their most fearful It's the old blood in the streets saying that Warren Buffett made famous. When there's blood in the streets, you buy. When there's euphoria, you sell. I don't know if there's blood in the streets, metaphorically, but man, we're close. And I like that. So my best professional judgment is, I think we're closer to the bottom than we were a month ago. Maybe a couple of weeks ago. But here's where I would change my opinion. Okay? Here's where I would be wrong, and hopefully I would change my opinion before um, it would say, well, wow, I missed that. And that is if inflation really gets out of control or it stays elevated where it is now in the 8 to 9% range and the Fed has lost control. 
if that were to occur, and look, the odds aren't zero of that. They're probably better even than 10%. I don't discount the, the possibility of that happening. If that were to occur, then we've got some issues. Again, not like 2008, but maybe this bear market isn't over yet. And that's a segue into this whole notion of inflation. Folks, everything is so political these days. It's unfortunate because it causes people to make decisions that are not in their best interest. They're making decisions based on their political leanings. Sometimes that's okay, okay, but other times it's harmful, and you don't know it. And I've seen it now time and time again. I've seen it in my whole career, really, but more in the last mm, dozen years. Really, it's it kind of started during the Obama years, i got to be honest. I didn't see it much in the 90s. You know, people, of course, had their political leanings like always, but they weren't necessarily so political that it caused them to make rash decisions with their investments because they hated that guy or they supported this dude over here. But Obama kind of changed things, man. It really became a little bit more divisive in terms of my corner of the world. And that just continued, obviously, through Trump. And it's continuing now through Biden. And now it's just kind of out of control. And it's unfortunate. So what I want to do is just give you the facts of how we got here with inflation and not get into the politics of it unless we need to. It all started, obviously, in early 2020 with this thing that we started to hear about over in China. And it was this coronavirus thing. What is that? The technical term was COVID-19. Hmm, that doesn't sound good, but I think we're okay until we weren't. To me, the date was March 11th of 2020. That's when the whole game changed. Three things happened that day. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson put a face to it. The first well-known people to test positive for COVID, and then they went into quarantine. I'm like, whoa, that's big. An NBA game was stopped right before tip-off. All the players were there on the court. The fans were in place. Came back that one of the players, Rudy Gobert, tested positive for COVID. The game was stopped right there, and everyone went home, and the NBA shut down the rest of the season. And President Trump gave a national address that afternoon and said that he was now restricting travel to various places around the world. Three things, all one day, March 11, 2020, game on, we are now shutting down, and now we know what happened over the ensuing months. Economic lockdowns, people laid off, businesses going under, spending drying up. We had deflation. It all came out of deflation because what happened? Congress came to the rescue. Folks, I had no problem in the early days of that. I was vocal and public with my sentiment on that. So when the first stimulus numbers came out, I wish we could have been more targeted. I said at the time, I don't like the fact that most Americans are getting these checks when many, if not most, didn't need it. But we couldn't. What else were we going to do? Because there were millions of Americans who desperately needed that money through no fault of their own. They were being told to stay home. They were effectively fired by the government. Well, the government owes them something which, of course, means the taxpayers had to pay. 
I was okay with that with the first round, even though it was a little messy. We couldn't take the time to people apply and see who was really deserving of it. No, it just had to be done. But it kept going. And it kept going. And the lockdowns continued. And we ended up having several major stimulus packages that came out. $5 trillion in all. $5 trillion in checks went out. Meanwhile, the Fed was buying bonds, buying bonds, buying bonds, which effectively means they were sending more money into the economic system. Dollars were floating everywhere. Americans, while they were sitting at home, not spending money because they had nowhere to go, they couldn't go to restaurants, they couldn't travel and take vacations, now had all this extra cash. Hey, baby, it's time to spend. And spend they did. A 14 to 15% increase in spending while production only went up 4%. You don't need to be an economic major to know, yeah, that's kind of inflationary. Then you had supply chain issues as we try to ramp back up too late. People didn't want to go back to work. And you can't just turn on a light in the global economic system. Now we've got inflation starting to pick back. Notice that I haven't picked on any one particular person. But We'll start to get into that a little bit more as we continue this domino timeline here. It's important to understand how we got here to today without getting into personal politics. Yes, we will have to name some names here in a second and look at other bodies, organizational quasi-government bodies that have also um, got some blame here. And we'll do that when we come uh, back with more at your service. Dave Simon's with you tonight, and it's 8 (laughs) Eight. Yeah, maybe if you're uh, mountain time. 931 in St. Louis, we will come back. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that does end at some point. Yeah, it will at about 10 o'clock tonight. But I'll be back with the Dollars and Cents show this Sunday from 3 to 5. And um, yeah, looking forward to that. We'll continue some of these discussions for now. I'm giving you sort of this timeline of how we got to today with the highest inflation numbers in more than 40 years, all starting with a little bit more than a couple of years ago with this thing called COVID-19 and the subsequent lockdowns, laying people off, businesses going under. So initially we had deflation and the government came in. Congress said, along with President Trump, said we got to do something. And I fully supported that first round. Something needed to be done. It was messy. It could have been cleaner but it needed to be done right away. So things were just going to be a little messy at the beginning, and I was willing to give uh, a little bit of that grace, and I I think most people did early on. But when it kept getting extended and the lockdown stayed in place, in my opinion, too long, as we got more information about this thing and we could have protected the most vulnerable while we started to open up the economy for those people who got out there and who were younger and um especially when we got the vaccine in early 2021 and we were still in some areas of the economy still locked down. But now I'm getting into the politics of things and I vowed I would not do that. So I'll stop that discussion. We just need to talk about inflation, which of course is part of that and supply chain issues and and, and on, on and on. So the first part of the blame you could say is at the center, uh, uh, looking at political leaders, particularly in Congress who just kept going back to the well and another stimulus and another stimulus. And they even wanted more 
even more and more and more and more. And in particular, if I can name names like an Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders wanted yet another multi-trillion dollar package. Can you imagine if if they had gotten their way? Inflation would be so out of control right now. We're lucky it is where it is today. And more stimulus. And then the other blame that we can legitimately place would be on the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed, led by Jay Powell. I actually have liked Jay Powell. He seems like a good guy and I think a very smart guy. But, man, he's been asleep at the wheel. He just missed it, and I think he knows it. But it's he's not a one-man show. He does have other people who vote. You know who I really like is the St. Louis Fed guy, James Bullard. He, he's a guy that, at least in his public comments, seems to have gotten it. He seemed, in early comments, he, he was more hawkish early on. I was on the Dollars and Cents show at the end of the summer last year saying the Fed needs to wind down its bond-buying program. It needs to stop. It's still throwing money into the economic engine when we've got inflation ramping up. And the Fed's like, no, we're good. We're going to continue this. We don't see a problem. It's transitory. And even getting into the end of 2021, where it was so obvious by then, and the Fed said, yeah, maybe we'll start winding it down by March. Why not? Why couldn't they have just stopped it immediately and started raising rates? Instead, we had to wait all the way to March before we did a minor 25 basis point or quarter point interest rate hike. It's just, it's too late in, in some degrees. I know they're getting more aggressive now. And the market doesn't like it. This should have been started last year. So, yeah, if you're looking to blame anyone without getting into personal politics, you can say that there's a segment of Congress that just kept wanting to spend, 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 spend. And we need to do away with this whole notion now, I hope, of the universal basic income. Just everybody gets a check of a couple grand, you know, a month, a year, whatever. This is a first look at that, and it's really had some negative consequences. We need to help those most in need, but we just don't need to be sending checks out to every red-blooded American. Come, I mean, come on. All right, I, I need to back away and just take a little breath here, but I feel we have been failed. I really do. I don't need to sound all populist on you. Both Republicans and Democrats have been very populist in nature on both sides. I don't mean to delve into that kind of thing, but we have been failed by those who do have some influence on um, the economic structure of this country. Way too much money kept getting spent. Economic lockdowns lasted too long. We had a Fed that was too slow in acting. So to kind of wrap it up, you've got trillions of stimulus dollars, more than we actually needed as it turned out. All this lack of supply, of course, due to the lockdown. So this the equilibrium of supply and demand was way out of balance. Too much demand, too little supply. Econ 101, runaway inflation. With a Fed sitting back and going, no, nah, I think we're, gonna, we're good for now. And then you can add in the Biden administration's uneasy relationship with big oil. I'm, I'm being kind here. Russia, Ukraine, the war. So let me stop right there. That's enough for both sides on the political aisle. You can both be happy with me. You can both be mad at me. But it's true. There's, there, you can't ignore the fact that President Biden is correct when he looks over to the Russia-Ukraine war and say that has led to higher gas prices. That has been inflationary. Absolutely 100% correct. Where he's wrong is to say it starts and ends there. 
that has had a small piece to play in the inflation picture. It's not a major piece. It is part of it, though. However, the other side is the right is correct in saying that the restrictive energy policies promulgated by the Biden administration has also hurt and been inflationary. However, again, it is a small piece, not a major piece. The major really is this. We have distorted the economy by borrowing debt and giving it to consumers so they can put it right back into the economy. That, folks, if you want to simplify how we got here today, don't get sidetracked by, well, you know, it's uh, the Russia-Ukraine war is the main reason. No, Biden wants to not have all these leases for oil and fracking. Stop it. That is a part of it, a small part. The main reason we have inflation today is that starting in 2020 and continuing for far too long, we borrowed debt in the trillions of dollars, gave it to consumers to spend and put right back into an economy where people weren't even working. So we had no supply, too much demand, and here we are today. It, my folk, friends, is that simple. And that kind of leads me into some of the issues that there are conspiracy theories that come out of this. And it's too bad because it can hurt people in investing. I don't want to spend a lot of time because people get all bent out of shape when you start getting into that, but I think it's important to address. So I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes on it when we return and then end with uh, a little note on uh, bear markets in history, which might end um, send you on your way tonight feeling a little bit better where we stand in the market. We'll do that when we come back. You're listening to Camo X. My name is Dave Simon. Stay with us. All right, folks, 10 minutes until 10 o'clock. Boy, losing my voice here after a couple of hours of talking. Um, you know what? I, I don't want to step on toes. That's not my intent here. I, I may do that. For some of you, but it just has to be said that too many folks these days uh, get caught up in conspiracies that hurt their decision making when it comes to investing. Um, I, I I got this. This actually came from a relative in another state a few weeks ago, saying, "Hey, what do you think about the World Health Organization voting to take away our sovereignty?" What? Yeah, they're going to vote on uh, May twenty second. And it looks like they um, they're gonna they're gonna make all world health decisions for future pandemics take take away the decision making of every sovereign country out there, the U.S. and the U.S. is going to allow it. And I just knew when I heard it that is patently false. You're just you're trying to make some political statement because you dislike someone so much that you're being blinded by that. So I went and did my own research, and yeah, the the WHO, not, you know, Pete Townsend in the group, Roger Daltrey, but no, the World Health Organization, WHO, is getting together and they're voting on some issues this week. And one of the things that they really want to do, after they recognize, they kind of messed up this whole coronavirus COVID thing. They were uh, very disheveled in a way that they approached it. They know it. The world knows it. They lost a lot of credibility, and they're trying to get it back, and they would like maybe a more cohesive front next time that can especially help third-world countries. They're not 
taking sovereignty away. And even if they tried, that's so patently stupid. I'm sorry, but use some critical thinking here. Do you think for a second, and I don't care if it's a Democrat, Republican, or somebody in between who's going to say, oh, well, yeah, the World Health Organization just voted that they're not going to allow us to make decisions for ourselves and for our own American citizens. We're going to give up all of our rights to this global organization. Now we're getting into the whole globalist thing. I'm going to stop there. But people are making investment decisions based on that vote this week. I know it's true. It is happening. People are selling because they think we're about to give up American rights this weekend. And then you get into things that, uh, you know, I've been around for a few years now with digital currency and the U.S. is going to go to digital currency and force us to give up our paper dollars and The other thing that I've heard for, you know, 15 years is the government's going to seize everyone's 401ks and we're going to become Venezuela. I've heard that for a while. Uh, China is, um, you know, they're going to crash our markets. They're going to dump all of our bonds, which, again, is so patently ridiculous, lacks any kind of critical thinking. Do you think China wants America to go under economically overnight? It would destroy them It's just the facts and it's truth. And I'm going to stop there, but I'm just saying, please, if you believe that stuff, that's fine. It's a free country. But really take a step back before you totally revamp your portfolios based on things that are not going to happen. They're just now. They're just not. Now, are there some kernels of truth to that? Is China our friend? Not really. Not really. Do we have digital currency? Is the government looking at the possibility of having something like that and regulating? Yeah. But then to take that leap and that step to say now that there's going to be a complete revamp and change overnight in this stuff, and we little Americans here have lost all of our rights, I've been hearing that since I've been alive for 60 years. There's always been conspiracies. And I could come back on this show in 10 years and say, hey, did any of that come true? And I can guarantee none of it did. All right? And now I'm going to leave it alone and come back and end on something a little bit more positive. All right? We're all friends here. (laughs) Okay? So there have been, since 1957, there have been uh, 10 bear markets, the S&P dropping 20% or more. Man, we're close to making it 11. Literally, the S&P is down about 19-point change, so we're almost right at 20%. But in the past 10 times, it's been all over the board. The longest was the 2000 to 02, actually into 03. Bear market lasted 920 days. I mean, really long. The shortest, most recently, 33 days. That was basically late March into late, uh, I'm sorry, late February through March of uh, 2020. Kind of throw that out there. That was kind of a strange one. It wasn't economic related as much. It was this virus, right? I think, and I don't have time to go into the details why, I think if we go into a bear market, it's going to be similar to the bear markets that we saw in the late 50s and early 60s. We had three of them during about a 10-year period. And they range from a a drop of 20.7, which we're close to now anyway, to the one in uh, 1962 when I was born, a drop of 28%. And they all lasted less than a year. In fact, most of them were about 100 to about 200 days, somewhere in there. There are comparisons economically to what was happening then to what we have today, which is still an economy that was growing 
and unemployment was favorable and people were spending, but there are other economic factors that caused the market to go into a bear market. We don't have the infrastructure breakdown, the fissures that we see economically that we saw in 2008. I'm sorry, they're just not there, and I don't think they will be. We have had a bit of an internet bubble bursting, if you will, with these meme stocks, but that's already occurred. These things are already down 80 to 90%. So I leave you with the professional opinion, no guarantee, that I think the majority of this correction slash bear market is behind us, even though we may meander for a while. More, I promise, for those of you who enjoy this kind of talk, You'll get plenty more this Sunday on my Dollars and Cents show right here on KMOX this Sunday, 4 to 6. Until then, have a great Friday into your Saturday, and we will talk to you in a couple of days. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.